I want to be careful not to give any glory to the enemy of our soul this morning because he doesn't deserve anything than to be other than to be under our feet. But I want you to realize something that's been going on around MAG in the leading up weeks. You've seen the last few weeks just the glory of God begin to fill the house last week and the week before in the prayer meetings. And I told you about about 13 months, I think, that we've scheduled Jay and Cinnamon. And I, I, well, I don't think I know that God orders steps. He has a plan for your life. He orders the good steps of a good man, a righteous man, are ordered of the Lord. He knows what he's doing. And I, I don't know that I've ever had meetings here, at least, plans here that has been any more spiritually opposed than this meeting. Now, I'm not being weird. It's just true. And one of the things that you've been seeing around MAG and the things that we've been teaching and, and causing and, and the Lord's been showing us and demonstrating is that we're seeing that the fight is spiritual. The fight, the church, the, the fight is spiritual. The fight is spiritual. It has to be fought that way. And I don't usually take any time before introducing a speaker, but I think this morning I'm, I'm just, well, you know, I try to walk in obedience. The power of God's in obedience. What MAG Church is beginning to understand is where the fight is, and the fight's been coming to us. I don't know what's happening at your house, but I know what's happening at my house and in my world. That there's been a, that there's been a tension and a friction and a, and, a, and a opposition on every step, big and small. School, home, church. Now, I'm not talking about petty things. I'm talking about spiritual attack. And I talk often about the church world and the denominational world. They're not the same. There's something I want you to hear at MAG this morning because we have all kinds of backgrounds here. Our growth has been across the spectrum. I told you last, we literally have people come in after weeks of live stream or whatever and they come into the worship services and the power of God begins to move in the last week and the week before and the week but to the place that that they say I've never seen anything like this and, and really they don't come back some of them some do some don't because they I, I kind of laugh and said they, they've heard about us people <laughs> they're walking away from their answer they're walking away from their answer some things I want you to know. People are here this morning, people that are watching, people that will come later. The church has bought the lie over the centuries that the power of God is not for today, that the Spirit of God is not for today. We, we believe He has the power to save, which is incredible, but we don't have, believe He has the power for anything else. That's denominational, sectarian. It's watered down the power of God. It's a form of godliness with no power. Paul's letter to Timothy told us to run from that. People are run. Do you hear what's happening? Do you hear me? People are running from the power of God. Their answer. Instead of running from the powerlessness of religion. Church, are you here? I don't ever mind telling you what's going on in my spirit on a day like today. We're plowing through solid rock looking for the breakthrough. We're plowing through solid rock today. Because somebody has a spiritual breakthrough this morning. 
We'll move on when I have the release to move on. What we need to understand is we live, we're, we, are, we are gauging our fight by our physical world and our physical world is the smallest world we live in. It's temporary and it's small. We are spirit, soul, and body, not body, soul, and spirit. And the, and, and the environment you're living in, the environment your family's in, the environment this church is in is, is a spiritual battle like you've never lived through before. But the word said it was coming. And there's something I want you to know in this church, many, 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 many people watch on platforms all over the country and all over the world. There's something you need to hear, and I'll tell you plainly. The enemy laughs at your denominational barriers. So I'll, let me just come down here. By the way, 12 o'clock is nothing for Mag. We got all time in the world. Mag, 12 o'clock noon doesn't mean anything. We, we follow what's going on. I need this church to understand something. The power of God moving in this church is the hope of the golden triangle. If it, oh, you don't understand. He, somebody's got to let him move. And somebody's got to believe him and somebody's got to engage the fight. Somebody's got to realize that the battle is spiritual and the battle is real. And this church has to press through the hard ground to the spiritual breakthrough. It'll be prayed through. We've been praying it through. It'll be fought through, fight through it. Realize that your spouse, that your family, that your boss, that your whoever is not your enemy. Because you don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We have a church world that no longer believes in the, in the supernatural of God, but they'll chase every demon that Hollywood has to offer. Oh, they, they believe in the surreal and the supernatural, but they don't believe in the, the supernatural. And I can tell you who's being exalted when we think that way. You wonder why he's gained control? It's because we believe him, the enemy. We believe him. But we've got to come to the place where we believe him. We've got to believe him. He's the answer. And the supernatural power of his Holy Ghost in you is the only way it will happen. I'll tell you again, the enemy laughs at our denominational hindrances. He laughs whenever we, whenever we have more faith in, in, our, in our institution's statement of beliefs than we do into the Word of God that tells what He has to offer. I'm telling you this this morning because today was a preordained day of supernatural, powerful warfare on behalf of this church and this area. Now you can think I just talk big and whatever. You can think what you want to. But I've made up my mind. I've made up my mind if I have to fight it by myself, which I won't, <laughs> that we're going to fight through it. And we're going to see the supernatural power of the living God change families, change lives, set people free, heal the sick, raise the dead, deliver, deliver men marriages, break the spirits off of families, our children. I'll tell you where the target is. The target is, I'll tell you all the time, grandma and grandpa, they, he knows he's not going to get you. He knows that you're not going to buy this junk. Mom and dad, you're somewhere in the middle, and your kids see you not being too serious. They're watching you. But I can tell you, the target's sitting right there. That's the target. I'm not having it. I'm not having it. We're going to fight. We are fighting. I don't know if I, I'm going to say it again. You may not believe it, but I'm going to say it again because it's true. If you know me, you know I don't like preacher talk. I don't have any use for preacher talk. If you know what that is, then you understand. If you don't, well, I can't stand preacher talk. But I'll stay and state what's true. And I believe with every fiber of my being that this church was set into order at this place at this time, that this is our moment. 
And it's not for us. It's not for notoriety. And it's not for full seats. It's for this area. One church. I want to ask you something. Do you still believe that one person, that one group, that one church can change their world? Do you believe that? Hey, if others are in, that's great. But I'm not accountable for anybody else's call or what they're put in, set in order to do. But I can tell you, I'm going to fight for this mandate, for this church, for this time, for these people. Can we do something before we introduce our speakers this morning? We have probably somewhere around 50 people out this morning that are sick. And I just have, I'm just one of those people that believe everything's spiritual. I do. I believe everything is spiritual. 50 people, approximately. Before we introduce speakers, can we come against sickness in the name that's above every name? Would you join me? Father, we can only come to you by the name of Jesus. But Lord, when we, come in your, when we come in the name of Jesus, we can walk boldly into the throne of grace and make petition. Lord, there's families and individuals all over this church that, are, that have fallen ill. Lord, I believe it's nothing more than an attack of our enemy, but, but you are bigger than every virus. You are bigger than every bug. You are bigger than anything that can rise up. And Lord, we pray for every family and every individual. You know who every one of them are, that, that healing would come expediently and immediately. Even now as we pray. Lord, in this service, before we go any further, we take authority all over every principality, over every power, over every stronghold and every force of the enemy that's tried to hold back this service. We come against it in the authority of your name. That you said you had the keys to the kingdom and that you give them to us. So today we stand on the power that, you, that we have right to by the blood of Jesus and by the power of his name. Lord, we believe for a touch for families. Lord, we ask for souls this morning. Souls into the kingdom of heaven. Before we walk out this door, souls this morning. Families restored. Relationships changed. A breakthrough in the golden triangle. Bring the souls from the north, the south, the east and the west, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Without further ado this morning, would you welcome to Mag Church Cinnamon Covert and, and Jay Covert this morning. Come on, Cinnamon. Well, good morning. I am really excited to be here. So we're going to do something a little different. I want you to get excited, and I want you to high-five somebody next year or near you. Just find somebody, high-five them, air-five, whatever. I got you, girl. <laughs> Guess what? Congratulations, you're all missionaries. And maybe you're not called to Africa, maybe you're not called to China, and some of you are saying, thank you, Jesus, you're not called to the hood with us, but you're all called. Because the last time I checked, there's not a ministry called Warm in the Pew, amen? Just saying. Um, you know, and, and where we're called, it's in some of the hardest places. You know, we're dealing with drug addicts, drug dealers, prostitutes, Homeless, you know, and the prostitutes are skirts too short, shirts too low, guys or pants are sagging. God says, get over it. That's my diamond in the rough. You know, Jay wants to start a belt ministry, and I told him he couldn't do that. <laughs> so, you know, it's just about loving people where they are and getting past that outward appearance because that's God's diamond in the rough. And so I'm going to open up with a verse that we all know. 
Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So I looked up the definition of neighbor in the free dictionary online. The first two, typical, one who lives near or next to another. A person, place, or thing adjacent to or located near another, but it was the last two that got me. A fellow human. And the very last one was, in order to be a neighbor, it is a person who shows kindliness. So guess what? You're called to do acts of kindliness, and your greatest work outside is outside the walls of the church. And it's not pastor's job to go with you to the store or to school or to work. That's your job. You know, and it's that neighbor, your coworker, that thorn in your side, that's your neighbor. It's the gal in line in front of you at the grocery store chatting up the cashier, that's your neighbor. It's that bully, it's that, you know, person at school that's annoying you, that's your neighbor. Wherever your feet take you, that's your neighbor. You know, we are called to be salt and light. You know, and it's not hard to love people where they are. I've been known to chase people down in the parking lot and pray with them. I've been known to hold up a, a coffee line. I don't actually recommend that. <laughs> but all you have to do is say five words. Can I pray for you? Or leave your waitress a fat tip. You know, maybe she gave you the worst service possible, but maybe she didn't get her child support check that month. That's your neighbor. You know, and salt and light. We were called to be salt and light. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. I don't know about you. I don't want to get trampled. I'm staying salty. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We are the light bearers of Christ. Our light dispels evil and darkness. We carry the good news. And the church can no longer be silent in the name of tolerance and acceptance. That's why America is where it is today. We don't want to offend people in the name of love. The word of God is either going to offend or convict those living in sin. So get over it. You are going to offend people, but you are also going to save souls. Yes, we are called to love, but affirming the lies of the devil and the world's agenda is not love. And I say this all the time, silence is compliance. And I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer's statement Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. And let me remind you of what God's word says. And you said it, Ephesians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And right now, we are at war. We are under attack by a Marxist religion, a doctrine of demons. The Communist Manifesto's goals, overthrow capitalism and governments, abolition of property and of all classes. But the last one, people need to pay attention the elimination of family. The devil is doing his best to destroy families right now. We need to focus on families more now than ever. He wants to, to divide, distort, and destroy the families. He wants to divide families by distorting the image of God that we were made in. Just look at the sex ed in the schools and the LGBTQ movement. Our youth, our children are under attack. The devil is no longer satisfied with killing babies in the womb. He wants to steal the seed before our children can even produce it. Just look at the HRT, hormone replacement therapy, being offered in the schools. Boys transitioning to girls, girls to boys. The church can no longer be silent. 
We must take a stand. We must pray. We must speak God's word, and we must act. We've allowed the Philistines to take over our communities, our government, our schools. It's time to take this nation back and to make it once again one nation under God. And there is a reason God gave this to me today, and I could just cry. There is a reason that your church is called MAG. Because you are here to make America godly again. You have a job. And it is, it is so important. So let's go out. Let's go out in the communities. Let's be the salt and light. Let's get involved in our local government. Let's get involved in our schools. And let's carry the good news wherever we go because we are the salt and light. And we are dispelling evil. We are pushing back the darkness. And you can't do that by staying in the church and sheltering in place. Otherwise, we might as well just close shop. So let's go out, let's win the loss, let's bring them back into the house of the Lord, and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Amen? God bless. Good morning. It's good to be with you guys this morning. I grew up in a little farming community in Indiana. Greencastle, right, right outside of Indianapolis. And uh, I want to share a little bit of my testimony this morning with you so I can build the theme of how I've got where I am. And so I want to go back to June 1990. I was riding my motorcycle. It was a hot day. I did not have a helmet on. I was doing about 45 miles an hour. A truck ran a stop sign. I T-boated him head on, totaled my motorcycle, slid several feet on pavement. When I got up, all I had was a scratch of my arm. Now, I know that day that there's an angel that undergirded me. There's no other way you could explain that, to just get up and walk away. My motorcycle was completely totaled. And the thing was, is I was running from God. Didn't want to have anything to do with him. And then April 1991, I got pulled over by an Indiana State Trooper. I had drugs on me. I thought the guy that, that was with me had drugs on him. We just smoked a blunt. It was like Cheech and Chong. When the window went out, or when the window went down, all the smoke went out. And I'm thinking, I'm not getting out of this sign. I'm going to jail tonight. And I got out of it. But you have to understand, it was a Sunday night, and it was 8 o'clock. The next day, my mom calls, and she's hysterical. She's upset. She's crying. She's screaming over the phone, and she says to me, you were in trouble last night, weren't you? I said, how do you know? She said, I was at church and the Holy Spirit told me to pray for you. I continued to run from God. A couple weeks later, I was at the dope man's house and I'd taken a lot of drugs that night and I felt like I was dying. I felt like I was going in and out of consciousness. Next day, I was fine. That afternoon, a lady named Jane Howard, I did not know her. I don't know how she got my phone number. She called and she said, are you Jay Covert? I said, I am. She said, God woke me up last night in the middle of my sleep and had me intercede for you the entire night. I seen your face 12 times in the fire. Do you know what that means? I said, I do. I almost died last night 12 times. And if I would have died, I would have went to hell. And she said, you're correct. You need to stop running from God and get your life right with him. It was a couple weeks later, I found myself in Cleveland, Ohio on Teen Challenge. I'm a Teen Challenge graduate. And, uh, and I'd only been there a couple days when the two guys I was dealing drugs with got, ended up getting arrested and going to the penitentiary. They were looking for me, but they couldn't find me because there's no social media back then. There were no cell phones. I was hidden. I completed the program, went back home, separated myself from everybody that I ran around with because I knew I couldn't go back to that. Worked a few jobs here and there. And then 1995, September, uh, no, it was September 96, I was working in a prison for juveniles. And I was in Cottage 13 as the worst where the worst offenders were, and I ended up going to Brownsville Revival. And Steve Hill prayed over me, and he prophesied. And he said, within the next year, 
you're going to be in full-time ministry. And I'm thinking, this dude is off his rocker. I'm 26 years old. I work in a prison. I don't know how that's possible. And do you know exactly a year later, September of 1997, I found myself a master's commission. I was there for three years before I got credentialed with the Assemblies of God. And I went on a missions trip. In October of 1999, I went to Southeast Washington, D.C. to work with the missionary. There were 28 of us. We went there. We were there for three days. Bad area. I took off that night and went to walk and pray. I was gone for an hour. When I came back, the missionary chewed me out. He said, you can't just leave and just take off walking. Where were you at? I said, well, I was walking, talking to God. I figured if I was with God, nothing was going to happen to me. So we were going back to Indiana, and I heard the Lord say, you're going to work with that missionary. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm not going there. I mean, I grew up in this little bitty town, Greencastle. And I fought with God for several months. You know why I lost? I moved out there, lived in an apartment. I was only supposed to be there two years. I stayed four years with that man. I trained with him. And as I began to pray and ask God, where do you want me to go? I wanted to go to Gary, Indiana. The door shut. Then I heard the Lord say, I want you to go to East St. Louis. And I said, Lord, that's, that's like worse than where I've been. Why do I have to go there? And God said, that's where I want you to go. And so I moved there. I started that ministry from scratch. I didn't have anything. I found a bus bench my first day there. I sat on I said to God, I'm here now. What do you want me to do? You sent me to this violent city. I have no building. I have no staff. I don't know anyone. And God said three things that day. He said, Jay, I want you to reach out to the addicted, the afflicted, and the hopeless. I want you to raise up pastors. And I want you to plant churches. As we fast forward today, we have 10 urban outreaches now in 10 different cities in America. Our closest one's in New Orleans. I can remember my first year there, driving my car around with the windows down and the doors unlocked, thinking this is crazy, with clothes and food in the back of my car. What do you do when you stop at a stop sign, a drug dealer just jumps in your car with you? Well, you start preaching Jesus out, and they'll jump out as quick as they jump in. I begin to build relationships with people. Look, you'll never meet the spiritual need of people if you don't meet the physical need first. The best way to a man's heart is through his belly. If we'll reach the physical, then they will allow us to reach the spiritual. And so we'd be, I began to do ministry, feeding people, and then God began to give me indigenous people from the community and raising up pastors. And then, and then we had a, 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 this big cooker built. It is a monster of a cooker. And then you know where we started going? We started going to the corners on Friday nights where they were dealing drugs and the gang members were. We'd just pull up and start cooking out. People would be driving in to buy their drugs and we'd be shoving hot dogs through the window. We'd begin to build relationships with people. And then, and then we started taking the, the cooker to the crack houses, sitting right up in front of the crack houses and cooking out. And, and church teams would come and help me and they'd be like, where's he at? And I, I'd be in the crack house sitting on, a, on a, a, a milk crate talking to people. That's who Jesus hung around with. He hung around tax collectors and prostitutes, the, the down and outers. And who had issue with it? Church people. It was not dirty, rotten, stinking sinners that put Jesus on the cross and killed him. It was church people. It was the religious zealots of the day. And that spirit's alive and well in the church world. America doesn't have, uh, we, we're not short of churches. There are churches everywhere. As we were driving from Houston here, I seen along the highway several church rows. 
The problem is the church has neglected the gospel and is preaching things that, uh, that itch people's ears, tickle the ears. When you got churches that are ordaining homosexuals and lesbians as pastors, there's issues going on. That's called doctrines of devils. Nobody wants to preach about that stuff. You can't talk about that stuff. You'll offend people. Let me tell you, there are people in hell today that wish somebody would have said something. And now it's too late. We have churches today don't even preach on hell because it offends people. We live in a, a, in a culture that people live offended. But if the church is going to operate the way it should and the way it's supposed to, then it's going to offend people. But if we do it in the right way, the, the offense of, of uh, fragrance with the love of Jesus, then we'll win people. I say it all the time. We have to love Jesus in people and love the hell out of them because people live hellish lives. We had a brothel that was by our church, is a block away from our church. And we would go in there and do some ministry. And all these called me one day and they, they started donating all their bread to us hot dog buns, hamburger buns. Then they started giving us food. And one day, one of the managers called and said, Hey, we have all these bundles of roses and we're going to throw them out. But you came to mind. Do you want them? I said, I'll take them. I'll come and get them. I called my pastors. I had three pastors on staff with me, and I said, hey, meet me at the church tonight at 8 o'clock. We got a mission we're going to do. And I didn't tell them what we are going to do because I knew they would freak out. They got to the church. They said, what, what are we here for? I said, I want to go to that brothel tonight, and I want to take these bundles of roses in, and I want to knock on the doors, and when the ladies of the night come to the door, I want, to, I, want us to handle, I, I want us to hand them a bundle of roses. And I want, I want us to tell them that Jesus loves them and invite them to church in the morning. Do you understand that some of those women have their children locked in the bathroom or seeing what their mom's doing? Why would the church not be there? In the bloodline of Christ, there's a prostitute named Rahab. Think about that. In a holy bloodline of Christ, God puts a prostitute in there. What that says to me is he loves prostitutes. And they have no hope unless the church brings it. We begin to develop ministry and, and, and we launched our first church in 06. I was there for two years before I even planned the church. I, was, I pastored it for four years, and I handed it over to Shamika Black. She's been with me 17 years. That's a long tenure. After we planted that church, we were given two buildings, a 10,000 and a 4,000 square foot building. We have four buildings in East St. Louis. If you were to come and see us, everything around us is there, boarded up, burned up, or barred up. It looks like a war zone. It's, bl it's blight. It's violent. In the last eight years, three men have been shot and killed right across the street from our church. From 2004 to 2018, we've had 454 murders in a city of 26,000. December 13, I had a pastor visiting with me. We were blocked from my building. All of a sudden, everything changed on my side of the van. 20-some gunshots going off 50 feet on my side. Everything changed. I realized I'm in the middle of a drive-by. The driver shooter pulled out of the parking lot, shut up. Three cars behind me. Six people were hurt, but not one bullet hit my van. I'm not a U. Somebody's guy says, "Well, you're a U.S. missionary." I'm not a U.S. missionary. I'm a foreign missionary. I was not raised in that culture. I've had to learn it. And so after we launched that church, we were given, we were given. Um, these two buildings, and, and as I begin to pray and say, God, what do you want to do with these buildings? I heard him say, I want you to plant a Spanish-speaking church. And I said, Lord, that makes no sense. There are no Hispanics here. It's the hood. Let me tell you what happens when you do things that God wants you to. The critics come. 
the criticizers, the naysayers. What's he doing down at that building? Well, we shut it down. It was running 10 people, and we let it sit for a year. We had to let it die. Well, here's the sad thing. That church in its heyday ran 500 people. It was a strong missions-giving Assembly God church, and it died out because they were not willing. It was white flight. They were not willing to reach the culture that was coming, and so they just let it die. The guy that's with me, when I met him, I just hired him on the spot. It took me 13 months to pray through to get the pastor. And I brought him on staff with me, and then five months into it, he says to me, Pastor, I have to confess something to you. By the time I was 39 years old, I spent half my life in prison. I'm a convicted felon. I said, that's water underneath the bridge. If he wouldn't have told me, I would have never known that because the guy is a godly man. July of 07, when God gave us those buildings, uh, August of 07, God began to speak to Ramon Granada, so he moved up to the East St. Louis from Las Cruces, New Mexico. He was there for a year, driving around trying to figure out how to plant church, and then God put us together. He's been with me 15 years. I took a chance. Somebody took a chance on you. The church has to take chances. If we don't take risk, then we'll never get to where God wants us to be. The kingdom is about taking risk. It's about taking calculated risk, not foolish risks that are founded on the mind, but taking risks that are found in the spiritual. We have to take risk. We have to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We have to be God's, God's voice in his word. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and through you. Today you're either a participator or you're a spectator. There is no middle ground anymore. Either you're with it or you're not. If you're a believer this morning, then you've been called to reach the lost. You do not have an exemption card. If you're a believer this morning, then you are a missionary where you work and where you live. You have been orchestrated. You have been ordained by the Holy Spirit. For such a time as this, you have been born in this day and this hour. We are going to see Jesus come back. Never have there never in the and since the beginning of men, never have all the signs been more evident than they have been in this generation. Why is that? Because the Bible says that when Israel becomes a nation, there'll be one last generation, and then the end will come. It's happening with you or without you. And when Jesus comes. There will be probably 50 to 60% of the American church left behind. Everyone's saying, we're waiting on this great revival. The revival's probably going to happen after the rapture when everybody realizes they got left behind. Hear me this morning, because it's going to go with what I'm going to close on. Because God gave me a word for you. I wrote down, I heard him say it, clear as a bell, and I wrote it down. There are ministries today waiting to be birthed for the kingdom of God with some of you. And if you decide that you won't do it, then it won't be done. Because God created you to do it. He orchestrated you to do it. He placed, here, he placed you here to do it. You have to realize something about, I don't know much about your area. I just know there's a lot of oil stuff here, and, and there's people from all around the country are coming here to work. And, and there's a spiritual thing to this. When all these people are coming here, they're bringing all their idols with them. They're bringing their gods with them. And you have to destroy them. The church must find new and creative ways to engage with the lost and the unchurched. The way we, we've been doing it ain't working. We have to be creative. We have to find uh, ways to do it. They, they used to say 
that little dabba, do you? But buddy, today we need a good old dose of the Holy Ghost. Without the Holy Spirit, we're in trouble. The problem with the church today is we're running on a twofold and we've kicked out the threefold. What do you mean? We're running on the pastor and teacher anointing, but we've kicked out the apostle, prophet, and evangelist. Why have we kicked them out? Because we don't understand it. Men are more concerned about the title than the anointing that goes with it. You're not an apostle if you're just planting one church. People love the title. But we need the mantle of anointing that goes with it. We need the apostolic. We need the prophetic. Without those, the church is dead in the water. You have to understand something about God. He's a God of order. He operates in order. And so when the church is out of alignment, then the church is what we're seeing right now in America. But when the fivefold is restored and it is operating in the church, then guess what happens? The signs are, are the, the, the gifts of the Spirit are in full operation. And with what God wants to do in this church... He's going to raise up apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. I don't want to get ahead of myself with this. After we launched that Hispanic church, they said it wouldn't work. This morning they'll have 80 to 100 people there. They're very Pentecostal. People show up with demons at all time, manifest, and they cast them out. And, and so I've learned something. I've never seen people who are demon-possessed until I got to East St. Louis. That's a dime a dozen. I learned something about that. Demons will only manifest when they're threatened or provoked. And the church in America never gets to that pivotal point of the Shekinah glory of God that it happens. People show up every Sunday with demons in them. And churches all across America. But because we're so caught up in the worship and the, the, all the crazy stuff that goes on, we've lost focus of what the, the, the real reason why we're here. It's not to barricade us in the walls and hope that the people outside the walls come in. It's a filling station. We're here to be filled up so that we go out. The church is either a hospital or it's a country club. And if you're a country club, it's all about you being served. But if it's a hospital, it's about you serving them that come in. Most churches, if God showed up and wanted to do something, the churches couldn't handle it because they're not prepared with the numbers that come in. Why would people want what we want? We're just like them. After we launched that Hispanic church, I heard the Lord say, I want you to reach the Bosnians. I didn't, have, I didn't know what he was talking about. Bosnians? You're not going to make me go to Bosnia, are you? Remember I went to North Africa on my first mission trip and I got arrested detained by the government for six hours for smuggling Bibles into the country, rode in two different paddy wagons. I remember that. He said, no, I'm not calling you to go to Bosnia. He said, they're over the river. As I, as I researched, I'm on the Illinois side of the Mississippi River. I'm in East St. Louis, Illinois. He said, they're in St. Louis, Missouri. As I researched it, what I found out is there's 70,000 Bosnians and 90% of them are Muslim, and nobody's reaching them. That bothered me. I'm all about missions around the world. We need to keep reaching people in the world. But listen, the nations of the world are right here in our, our country. They're in all the big cities. We must reach the nations that are here. And I, and I prayed for nine months, and I get a phone call from a guy named Andrew Austin, he said, I was given your name and number and heard that you're looking for a, a church planner. I said, what's your story? He said, my wife and I applied to be wor world missionaries to Bosnia and we were turned down. 
We were told we didn't have any experience as we researched the Bosnian population. There are 10, 10 populations here in America, but St. Louis has the largest one. We feel called to reach them. I said, congratulations, Andrew Austin. You are our church planner. He said, wait a minute, you don't know me. You've never met me. How can you say that? I said, brother, I prayed for nine months. You called me. I didn't call you. He said, okay, I'll do it. He committed. He raised his budget. And then he says, we have to get a building. And I said, Andrew, you have to realize something about our ministry. We're in 10 different cities. We run all of our ministries debt-free. We don't have any debt. Do you know how much money that takes? to do that every month in 10 different cities. Thousands of people being ministered to every month. He said, what do we do? I said, well, if God doesn't show up and show out, we're in trouble. He has to do it. Interstate ministry cannot sustain debt, so we can't go get a loan. So we prayed. And God spoke to an ice cream company. And they wrote a check out for $50,000 and Gave it to us. And then God spoke to a, a, a decor company. They wrote a check out for $50,000 and sent it to us. We had $100,000. We bought a building for $100,000 cash. Kept us in the debt-free zone. God only did it one time, but it was enough. It's what we needed. In New Orleans, we don't have a building. We think outside the box because the church is not a building. When we leave, it's an empty space. We're the church. And so we bought a double axle cargo trailer and we had it outfitted into a commercial kitchen. So Josh can go in the same, he can go in the seventh ward, the ninth ward. And if you've been in New Orleans and you've ran along the I 10 interstate, you know, underneath those bridges are hundreds of homeless people living underneath them, families in tents. He can pull that trailer out with a speed light truck and they can feed two to 300 people one shot have church around the streets. In Phoenix, Arizona, in the last year, we've pulled 430 people off the streets and put them in programs. In Washington, D.C. right now, we have a 12-unit building that was given to us. It's worth about $2 million a day. Wasn't that worth that much when we got it? We are feeding people every week. 31,000 pounds of food a week are feeding people all over the city. Since March of 2020, we've given at, we, we have been given and given away 3 million pounds of food. It's crazy how God does this stuff. But you have to be faithful little things and be faithful much. People want to be right behind this pulpit. They want to preach, but they won't clean the toilet. Ministry starts at the toilet, right? And then, then you get to the pulpit. In Cleveland, Ohio, when we planted that church, the Willards moved into the Buckeye neighborhood, and I said, you guys probably shouldn't do that. You have four kids. They said, no, we're going we're gonna to move there. We're going to do it. So they did, and I said, we'll do a couple things. Get a big, loud barking dog. Get a big ADD sign. Put it out in your front yard. They hit the ground running. They started doing ministry. What happened was on Sunday mornings and Thursday nights, they ended up planting a church in their house. And, and if, if you don't know their city, you, don't know, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. But can you imagine having 20 to 40 people from the hood in your house? And then they started after school tutoring program. Monday through Friday, over 20 kids from that neighborhood in their house tutoring them. And then the most amazing thing happened. The 1,600 square foot house next door came up for sale and the bank sold them the house for $500. Well, I'll tell you what kind of neighborhood you're in if you can buy a house for $500. Did they know they were going to build a house church? No. God won't tell you everything you're called to do because it'll overwhelm you. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. It's little pieces at a time. And as you apply those pieces, you begin to see the picture of what God's created you to do. The same bank called them up and said, hey, we have this old tavern. It has a large building attached to it, a two-bedroom apartment. We want to sell it to you. Bob said, how much do you want for it? They said, we'll let you have it for $500. So they wrote the check out and bought it. 
Six months went by. The bank said, Bob, we need to see you. So Bob and Judy went to the bank. And the bank said, we see all the stuff you're doing in your neighborhood. And so we just want to honor you and bless you and give you the check back for $500. Do you understand that banks take our money? They don't give us money. One more story. Our, our 10th Urban Outreach is in Indianapolis. And so we, we've been trying to figure out, you know, how can we reach the homeless populations that are there? And so we came up with this concept. Let's have a men's and women's shower trailer built. And that thing was $32,000. In May, I wrote a check for three grand for the down payment. And Chris says, where's the money coming from? I said, that's not my problem. That's his. He'll take care of it. Sent our newsletter out. And um, a lady texted me and said, uh, we're, we're praying about buying that trailer for you. So I called him and I said, bro, they're going to buy it for you. Nobody texts you and says we're praying about it and doesn't do it. And they bought it for us. Wrote the check out. Paid for it. And so we just picked it up. It's already been used uh, a couple times. About 50 people now have had showers. But here's what we want to do. We want to take it into Indianapolis, into areas, and, and we want to bring in beauticians and barbers. And we want to bring a big grill and cook out and allow those people just to get a shower. We take for granted the smallest things. The, most, the number one thing of homeless people are socks. in a shower we were with the pastor on Thursday and he asked Chris where do people take showers he said they don't they smell it's not that they don't want to they don't have a way to you see our ministry has always been to the least of these to those that no one else wants God does he loves those people I never asked for any of this stuff. I was happy at, plant, at church plant number one. But it goes back to that day on that bus bench. When I gave my life to Jesus, it was a contract that's his. It's the same with you. And as I was sitting over there this morning, this is what God told me to tell you. Every church is called to reach their city. And there are some churches ordained to reach entire regions. You said it. You were never meant to be the church that just reaches your city. You, were, you built this building. What a beautiful building. And God gave you the money. He sent the workers to build it for you. It wasn't for me, my four, and no more. He brought you here to reach the region, the cities, the neglected, the hurting. And it may even change who's here today. Some may leave because they just can't handle it. But that's all right, because when one leaves, ten will come. You are placed here as a crossroads to many communities. Why would God just like put you out here in the middle of nowhere? So he can get the glory. So that he can speak to hearts of men and they'll come. So this place will overflow. And I already know you guys are doing a lot of ministry as it is. But don't be stuck in small thinking. Don't be stuck, well, this is great. We have a building and, you know, we got some people in here. Dream big. Don't get stuck in church world. Get stuck in the kingdom world. Get stuck in the kingdom of God business. Time is short. You will plant many ministries from this place to the nations. That's what he said. I was writing it down. I mean, I, 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 I have an ear to hear. I have eyes to see. I know God's voice. Many times on Sunday mornings, I'll write stuff down. And I'll say it as he says it. 
this place will be a fountain of the fivefold ministries. Where ministries and missions will flow from here. That's what a fountain does, it flows. God's going to raise some of you up. You were never meant to work a, a job in the world. That's got you where you're at. But God had bigger plans for you. To be a minister. This will be a five-fold sending area. It'll be a five-fold. It's going to be a five-fold thing. And your district's going to get so worked up with you, but you don't care. God's looking for places in our country. He's looking for regions where he can plant a church, not a Brownsville revival, not a Toronto revival. Here's the thing. You have to understand your identity. You have to understand who you are in Christ. That's the problem with the church today. People go to conferences, they get all filled up, and then they come back and try to mimic what they saw. Don't mimic what you saw on the Friday night, Sunday night prayer meetings. God will show you who you are. And when he shows you your identity, you don't back down. You stand your ground. They say with a new level comes a new devil. The best of days is ahead of you. The past is the past. We can't look back. The Bible says a man that looks back is unfit for the kingdom. Keep looking forward. Have ears to hear and eyes to see. And you will be the church that God has created, ordained, and orchestrated for you to be. Amen? God bless you. Y'all know... Y'all, you know, but he doesn't. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Church, you know, you've heard. Jay Covert doesn't have time to watch our live streams. He's not watching what we say around here. Do you, are you hearing me? He has, outside of the gifts of the Spirit, he has no idea what he said this morning. But you should recognize it. It's 12-12. Can I tell you just one thing? Then ushers are going to come. Well, let me, let me say one thing about Jay first. I watched Jay on Facebook for a year before I ever made contact with him. I watched a missionary start to post about a budget that was $27,000, $28,000 a month. Is that right? Yeah. Did you hear that? A missionary with a budget of $27,000, $28,000 a month. And I would look at that and I would think, now there's two ways you could hear this, I'll explain it. I would, th I would look at that and think, what is that man doing that he needs $27,000 a month as a missionary? Now some people would say, what's he doing? That he needs Who needs $28,000 a month as a missionary? No. I thought, what is this man doing? for the kingdom of God <laughs> that he needs $28,000 a month to meet his missions budget. 
so I began to watch and I thought he's walking into hell itself no bank inner city can't support a loan but no bank's going to loan that anyway if God doesn't do it it's not going to get done That's why I called him. I think we're entering a time where everything we do, every dime we spend, every, every minute that we invest in a missionary, every dime we invest in a missionary in our own ministry better be thought out, ordered, and planned. I don't think we have time to stand back in, or, or in a place anymore to just stand back and throw money indiscriminately just because they call themselves a missionary that's another subject for another day but what Mag we had a, a divine appointment this morning when I first came here this is what I want to before the ushers come Heather hadn't even moved to Texas yet. She was still in Arkansas with the kids waiting for school to be out. Just me. And I moved here April 15th. And because it was just me, I felt pretty free to stop at the donut shop every morning. <laughs> Apple fritters and coffee. And you knew and you start showing up every day, they take notice of you couple of little Hispanic ladies and a couple of Asian ladies across the street. And I came out with my load in hand one day, and when I touched the door handle of my truck, the Spirit of God said to me that day, ask me for the nations. And I'll give them to you as your inheritance. I thought, wonderful. And I went and ate my apple fritter and drank my coffee. Three days later, because it was a Friday, so when I got there Monday morning, I went in and got my stuff, come back out, and again, when I put my hand on the door handle of my truck, the Spirit of God said to me again, He said, I said, Ask me for the nations, and I will give them to you as your inheritance. Jay, this morning I was reminded of that day again. Mag, you know that he's dealt with us over and over about you for the region. You'll reach the world from Mauriceville, Texas, and do. But that's just the beginning. Part of the reach in the nations is going. Part of reaching the nations is sending. Part of the reach in the nations is overseas. Part of reaching the nations is the nations are here. The nations are here. See, nations, nations are, isn't land masses. Nations are people. How do I know that? Because, because when I see in the Revelation, John said, I saw around the throne. He didn't see Africa and Asia and South America. He didn't see the globe. He didn't see continents. He said, I saw around the throne every kindred, every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. The nations are people. God's dealing with this church in Mag. Today may be your first time at Mag, but you walked in by divine appointment. Don't miss it. Don't let denominational barriers and grandma's religion stop you from being in the will of God and moving in everything that the Word of God offers to the believer. 
See, I don't believe in all the gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit of God because I'm assembly of God. I believe in those things because the Word says we can have it. And there's no, there's no superintendent and there's no, no, no denomination going to tell me any different. And you should make up your mind as well. This morning, if our ushers would come, I think you know in your spirit that you, you have heard from heaven today. And I think you know in your spirit that you have witnessed an opportunity to plant into fertile ground to reach in the nations within the United States, the nations that are within our borders and in our inner cities. I'll just say it again. I told y'all, hey, he probably thinks I'm crazy, but I said, this guy's bad to the bone. <laughs> he is. Would you help us today? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We can't imagine the incredible privilege that you've called us to. Lord, I can only take the step that you put in front of us. Today, this is the step. Lord, we pray that you guide us, direct us. Lord, let us catch a generous spirit and see the light and see the direction that you would have us go. We pray that you're speaking to hearts and minds and souls even now. Multiply it to your kingdom. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.